It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. We want to thank everyone for tuning in to the final drive this afternoon and folks it's what we call redemption tuesday for the final drive of course michael braun and i were absolutely embarrassed in two-on-two basketball and the opening kickoff with triple g and of course mark heim beat us 11 to 0 and so we knew that we were just going to have to take those lumps and bounce back. So Labounty and Bronner bounce back today in our game of cornhole at O'Daly's. And I'm happy to say you can hear it in my voice that Michael Bronner and I came away victorious. Bronner, Whew. oh, happy day, my brother. Man, I and it was, it was a grueling affair out there. It was hot. It was hotter than it should be for, what, 1030 in the morning. But it's out, you know, if you've ever been to a Dailies and, and you know, the, the cornhole set up out there, I've never been to a Dailies during the day. But <laughs> the sun has never been a factor playing cornhole at O'Daly's. But boy, oh, boy, was it today. And, uh, you know, it looked like we were going to get double redemption for a minute and on our way to a shutout. I think we were up 8 nothing or something like that early. It, it was <laughs> We were on our way to a blowout. It was like 19-6 at one point, too. We were on our way to a blowout. We went over 21 like three times. It was, it was, uh, we were too good at cornhole, too good. Corey, you were too good at putting the bag in the hole and, uh, you know, went over 21 three times, had to let Mark and Nick stay in it. Uh, but alas, the, as they were up 18 15, a six point round for me uh, ended things. And, you know, I, I, I said we were going to win in cornhole. It was close, closer than it should have been, but we, we backed it up. We got it done. I, I will say this, Bronner. This was my first time playing competitive cornhole. Yeah, you never told me that until we we got there, which <laughs> which made me a little bit nervous. You held your own, though. <laughs> Co competitive cornhole, and I, I must say, today the cornhole gods were with me, and it it was it was um, it was fun to say the least. Uh, the competitive juices between Nick Wiggins trying to get in my man Michael Bronner's mind and just play those mind games. I'm telling you, y'all, Triple G. We'll try to get in your mind. Nick Wiggins just tried to psych my partner, Michael Bronner, out. Like a little gnat in my ear. He, he, he was. He was, he was off, steady man. buzzing and, and doing everything he could without actually interfering with the throw. So, like, I would throw, and he would be ready to throw immediately, and he would throw the ba his bag as my bag was in the air. It was, it was bothering me. I, I won't lie. He, he got in my head. Truth be told, like I said, I had no clue as to how the scoring went in cornhole. I just knew the object was to get the bean bag into the hole. That, that was what it needed, the bean bag to stay on the board. Those were my two objectives today. And I didn't understand the scoring system. And because I didn't understand it, 
I'm just thinking that, okay, you just have to get the ball or the cornhole with the beanbag in there. There were a few times I'd tell you, all right, don't put it in the hole here. And then <laughs> you, you you put it in the hole. But it's all right. They, they went over once, which really saved us because it was on the way. It w honestly would have been the biggest choke job of all time if it, we, it, if it we had lost been. that game. It, yeah, I, I tell you, I, I do feel redemption in, in running through my veins. So Michael Bronner and I come back and, and defeat the opening drive with a nice cornhole victory today. And and I don't know if any drive. of our listeners have ever played competitive cornhole. And if you have, let us know what your favorite cornhole spot is because, I, you know, I, I've learned a lot today within the game itself. And O'Daly's was gracious enough to host us this morning. And I'm feeling good. I'm ready to take on listeners now. Th th there we go. Look, look, the way we played today, and now I have a true understanding of it, you won't have anything to worry about now i will give i will say this too as we quickly switch gears here in the opening segment i put the the, the beanbag in the hole a lot more times than i i had expected to so at one time i i got two maybe even three in a row so i felt like i was on fire and i'll tell you what was on fire today folks <laughs> here in mobile alabama it, it's going to make statewide news Right off of Lot Road, someone goes into a Dollar General and sets the Alabama apparel section on fire in the Dollar General store. Now, it's specific based to the Alabama section and lighting it on fire. And I know that Alabama is going to play a fire schedule, but to, to light the Dollar General Alabama section on fire that had to be a, a, a pretty you know I don't I don't even know if it's as bad as what Harvey Updike did <laughs> but if you start seeing a rash Harvey of, Updike's a hero <laughs> yeah if you start seeing a rash of Dollar General burning up in the Alabama section then, then you definitely know that you've got uh, somebody who's anti-Bama. Yeah, I saw that story. I think it was actually Mike Rodak who had it. I think it came out yesterday, and I saw the story. I didn't realize until we were talking about this like 10 minutes before the show that it was actually here in Pritchard that that happened. Yeah. Uh, and it was specific to the Alabama section. So now the question becomes like, was this an Auburn fan? Was this just someone who was hopped up on something they shouldn't have been hopped up on and, and, and made a decision to maybe pick up a lighter from the counter and, and said, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna light this stuff on fire. This looks like it will be – because, I mean, I don't know. E even if you're the most diehard of Auburn fans, this feels like a crime that you know, you, you know you're going to get caught. Harvey Updike now, he probably wouldn't have been he caught. If he didn't call in to find Bob and brag about it, he probably wouldn't have been caught. Like I say, if this starts to become a rash of fires at Dollar General stores, because there's only a Dollar General pretty much on every other corner here in Mobile, Alabama. So if you're just going in there, I don't know if the suspect has been caught or will be on camera because I'm quite sure Kelly Finley and her wonderful news updates will let us know whether that suspect has been caught. But if there's a second or third or fourth Alabama you think, there, you think there's going to be copycat crimes it, here. True, true. And, and like I said, this is something that I guarantee is going to catch on and literally take catch the internet on, on fire. It's going to set the internet uh -huh. on fire. Uh, but Alabama and Texas, this is a matchup that a lot of people are looking forward to within the second week of college football. 
I know last year going down to Texas that it was over 110, 15 degrees on the field when that game was kicked off around high noon Eastern time. But Big this year, kickoff. You, you don't have to worry about that. September 9th, Alabama taking on Texas at Bryant-Denny Stadium, 6 o'clock p.m. Mind you, it's still going to be warm. Not nearly as warm as it could be for the 2.30 or an 11 o'clock kickoff. The fans on the quad are the ones who have to worry about the weather now, you know, a day of drinking Millers all day. All uh, day long. And to get into Bryant Day. But, no, in, in all seriousness, really, really glad to see that. There, there's nothing more lame in college football than big noon kickoff. Like, let, uh, like let, let's sit in a room as TV executives. All right, how can we make a big game feel like a small game? Oh, let's put it at 11 a.m. Central time big or, or noon Eastern time. That's how you can make a big game feel like a small game. Quite possibly the worst idea ever invented, and Alabama was just victims to it last season because the game obviously was at Texas, So and uh, you know it was on Fox, and yeah. you know, it was a big game, so they put it on big noon kickoff, but it, it is the worst thing that any television uh, college football has, has ever done. Uh, I hope they do away with it at some point, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Maybe maybe when Texas and, uh, and Oklahoma come to the Big 12, although the Big 10 is, is still very much a thing for big noon kickoff. I, I can't say I can't say enough negative things about big noon kickoff, but now it's on ESPN. Don't have to worry about that. Marquee matchup should be at 6 o'clock under the lights. Adds a little bit of drama to an already dramatic matchup. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of layers to this one. I, I mean, we can... We can get into a few different of them, but Texas is Texas going to be really good. That's that's the unavoidable reality here. Well, the, the biggest thing for Texas is they're coming in with a, a very seasoned and experienced quarterback, Quinn Ewers. And if it's not for his shot to the shoulder against Alabama last year and not being able to complete that game, even though Alabama does have Bryce Young and Will Reichert, to save the day. I'm not quite sure that Alabama comes away victorious there in Texas. No, Alabama, no, they they, they lose. 7-2-1 <laughs> <laughs> all time versus Texas, and Texas not having a win against Alabama since 1982 in the Cotton Bowl. So it's been quite a long time if you're a Longhorns fan, and there'll be plenty of burnt orange that'll make that trip to Tuscaloosa, but Six o'clock p.m. and it's probably Sark, the most expensive ticket of the season. No, by easy, easy, easiest money that you'll spend as far as you'll probably be looking upper deck tickets, two fifty, three hundred bucks mm. uh, to get in that one. And Sark versus Saban. You have teacher versus student. And I think that when you look at what Quinn Ewers does bring to battle the tide, the, the secondary is supposed to be one of the deeper positions for Alabama this year. But last year against Texas, it was the penalties that absolutely like 14 suffocated. Of them. Maybe even 15. The most in the Nick Saban era it's prior to later on in the season. Probably the worst game of uh, Will Anderson's career as well. I believe he took two personal fouls in that one, which certainly didn't help. But 
I think the bigger story in that one, I mean, we heard a lot leading into the game that Texas's pass rush wouldn't be able to hold up against Alabama. Not not hold up, just not be able to do anything. And yeah, they were under duress all day long. They they really gave Bryce Young a lot of problems. I mean, if you remember on that last drive to set up the Will Riker field goal, Bryce Young had to pull a rabbit out of his hat and duck out of that sack and run for a first down, even to set up Riker on the field goal. Again, any other quarterback, Alabama loses that. There's a few games that that was the case last year, but Alabama loses that game. And also, if Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, Alabama probably loses that game. So you better believe Texas is going to have some revenge on their mind. Well, I know this much. Kevin Steele will be here tonight at the Team Focus Banquet at the Mobile Convention Center along with John Harbaugh. Ask so him his you, game plan for Quinn Ewers. I guarantee there will be a lot of questions asked by the media to Coach Steele in regards to, A, the penalty situation, for Bama, the discipline and what he's going to bring and his experience that he's bringing to the Crimson Tide, how satisfied he was after the 8A game. But the change in him becoming Alabama's defensive coordinator for the second go-round, I think, is, is very beneficial for a lot of the players to hear a fresh ear to, to gnaw on or, or to be fussed at. Kevin Steele is, is, did a wonderful job at Auburn orchestrating their defense when he depends was what depends what Auburn fan you ask there. I, but. I still think defensively now, offensively is where Auburn has had deficiencies. Defensively under Kevin Steele's reign, they they weren't too bad. And they, I no, mean, I, I I'm with you. I I think Auburn fans have a very negative opinion of Kevin Steele, which I never really understood. I I guess lack of adjustments or or whatever, maybe some more technical football reasons than, than I'm capable of explaining to you. But I, I feel like Auburn fans have a very negative general opinion towards Kevin Steele, and I, I never really understood why. It well, feels like they always had a good defense under him. At one point in time, you, you really were wondering, was he going to become Auburn's head coach? Exactly. And I think that Steele would have been is, a better hire than Brian Harson. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal coach. So, again, him coming down to the team focus organization to help raise money for Coach Mike Godfrey's organization is awesome. Looking forward to hearing John Harbaugh speak tonight. Again, tonight, if you're not busy, make sure that you go down to the Mobile Convention Center and hear Kevin Steele along with John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, speak. Uh, I know they'll have some great stories to tell and look forward to covering that as a media member. And we mentioned that the Dollar General was set on fire from an Alabama apparel standpoint. We said Sark versus Saban. Kirby had some things to say about his former boss as well. We'll tell you what King Kirby, the king of co the current king of college football, had to say about Nick Saban on the other side of the break, along with a couple of local products are still having an opportunity to continue their professional football career. We'll give you updates on that next on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner. And, of course, we always love to take your telephone calls, 251-694-1055, or 
you can reach us in the app and someone in the app was saying i think most auburn fans like steel this app user certainly did they had a top 10 defense in 2017 and 2019 good defenses the o-line is what has really affected and hurt auburn and again i, I think kevin Steele is a phenomenal coordinator and he did an outstanding job at auburn and with them leaning towards him possibly becoming that head coach i thought that they might have pulled the trigger on kevin Steele, but as time has gone on here he is in his second stint with the alabama crimson tide and we mentioned before i went to the break about the king of college football and kirby smart and what he had to say about the goat so there's a difference between being the king and the goat okay and that's going to be my distinction between kirby smart and nick saban and kirby smart had to say nick has been tremendous for our sport nobody has moved the college football game more than he has the sec is the premier place primarily because he started bringing national championships there when he came to lsu he's done a lot for this game and that's kirby smart on nick saban can't really argue with those comments at all by king kirby and the blueprint that kirby smart has put into place at georgia and making his own twist and tweaks when you have the type of players again just yesterday kirby smart continues to show that he's not done by having the number one overall prospect from the 2024 recruiting class in quarterback Dylan Rayola, the six foot three quarterback from Phoenix, Arizona. He had decommitted from Ohio State, and of course, Georgia worked his magic. And I mentioned yesterday, I think the biggest recruiting tool is that of other players. And because Rayola has committed, there's a mm. wide receiver. Yeah, I read that. That is thinking about decommitting and committing to Georgia. So. The, the players are the biggest cheerleaders in this situation for a particular program. But, of course, Nick Saban being the GOAT of college football, I think that head-to-head, -head, I know Kirby Smart and really all other assistant coaches that have been under Nick Saban have struggled. And all good things must have come to an end with Jimbo Fisher and, of course, Kirby Smart getting that win over Nick Saban. But I will say that, when you give props and show equal love, there, there's a lot of animosity between a lot of college coaches, but not a lot of former Nick Saban assistants have negative things to say about Coach Saban. Yeah, except for Jimbo, apparently. Yeah, and, th and that's really the first time that you've heard someone come out and say something negative about Coach Saban. And whether that was personally related to the NIL or not. That's y'all's king. <laughs> that that's exactly mm. what Jimbo probably wished the firestorm he, he he wished he wouldn't have started but I think that yeah I wonder if you asked him now if he wished he hadn't said that he probably 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 wishes he hadn't I, I said think that. that he probably would have been quiet as well I think Saban probably wishes he hadn't phrased what he said about A&M at the time you know to Rehash to rehash what happened a year ago, yeah, saying A and M bought their whole roster, which he wasn't wrong. Uh, nothing he said, and, and he didn't even say the words. It's not like he was like A and M is cheating. 
Uh, he said a lot of their recruiting classes there because of NIL, which was true. Uh, so, you know, for Jimbo to get upset about that, you know, obviously it was the story that dominated this time of year last year. So it's funny to rehash that now. But, the, yeah, the receiver you brought up, Jeremiah Smith, who is the number two player in the country, while Dylan Raiola is the number one player in the country, Jeremiah Smith, the wide receiver out of, uh, I believe he's from Florida, is the number two player in the country. And, yeah, he was like, well, now I got to give Georgia a real look. Like, really, man? And, and I'm telling you, I Come said on. it yesterday. That's what they do. They're their biggest advocates oh. of one another. And King Kirby continues to, to be hot on the recruiting trail. And I, I love the fact that when you have as many great recruits as we have, Micah Dubos is another 2025 prospect who he absolutely loves the Georgia Bulldogs at this point in time in his recruitment. Probably hit one of his favorites. If you were to ask Micah Dubose where his favorite is currently, he's going to be one of the top offensive linemen in the country in the class of 2025. So right here in our own backyard, we'll have probably the number one wide receiver in the country in Ryan Williams and one of the top five offensive linemen he's currently a four-star and Micah Dubos who's been playing varsity at Viger since he was an eighth grader but that just goes to show the type of talent that is here in the Mobile and Baldwin County area and when you have recruited or been recruited to a school how you try to flip guys to come play with you and the importance of these all-star games you know it's funny too um as for that 24 receiver class, Georgia has the, at least according to 24-7 sports rankings, has the number two, or number three, or number two receiver, rather, Ryan Wingo crystal balled to them 100% by 24-7 by there. And I believe they also have, uh, you know, another top 20 receiver named Nikar in that class. So, yeah. Gene Kirby. Just I mean, Jeremiah Smith, please don't go to Georgia. Just just stay at Ohio State. Getting it done. They, they got and, enough. And, and that's why they're back-to-back national champions because of the wonderful and recruiting job that, that Kirby has continued to do and continue w- will do. And speaking of the recruiting, the Mobile, Baldwin County area, of course, Carlton Marshall, the FBS career all-time tackler leader, has – Gone ahead and and he's in the CFL with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Didn't know if Carlton would want to have an opportunity to go as an undrafted free agent to the NFL and kind of pick his franchise, but he's decided to go to the CFL, and that's great tax-free money, and I hope that Carlton Marshall continues to do well for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Eric Guerra, former McGill Tulane State champion, went on to Lafayette tremendous corner and return specialist well after his rookie minicamp he secured an offseason program contract from the Tennessee Titans and will be getting some mentorship from Roger McCreary another Williamson alum and Auburn guy who can help him hopefully make that roster when we come back Jim Dunaway will join us here on the final drive on the other side Hi, 
Hi, this is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And, of course, sometimes you have to call audibles and have to be ready like the number one prospect in the country, Dylan Rayola is going to be for the Georgia Bulldogs and get Keith Smart on with this, who is definitely, excuse me, Keith Smith, who is a contributor to, I'm thinking about the Syracuse Orangemen and Keith Smart. And it's Keith Smith contributor to the Celtics blog joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Keith, thank you so much for your time. And I tell you what, the Celtics, didn't need the luck of the Irish in game seven. All they needed was Jason Tatum to show up and show out. Yeah, he absolutely, you know, played one of the great playoff games ever. Uh, considering the stakes and the way he played, it really was unbelievable, you know, that he came up with those 51 points, but also rebounded. He had a bunch of assists, too. I mean, all around, uh, great performance by him and, and helped uh, lead the Celtics to a you know, very big win. Well, Keith, also in the NBA, because the Celtics took Doc Rivers away, Doc Rivers loses his job today and is officially fired as the Philadelphia 76ers head coach. No really secrets there. But coming up in this series versus the Miami Heat, seven games is what I always love to see because you get an opportunity to see the type of performances that Jason Tatum provided. But... What are your thoughts about this upcoming series with a Heat team and organization that really wasn't expected to be here? Yeah, if you look at everything on paper, the Celtics should roll over this team. It shouldn't even be close. It, it should be an absolute blowout for Boston. But I think the reality is the Heat are not an on-paper team. You know, they're, they're kind of the perfect example of why you play the games, right? They, they are uh, really tough-minded. They're very well coached. They get after it. You never have any question about their effort level or anything like that. So it's going to be tough for, for the Celtics. They're going to be made to work. They're going to have to really, you know, uh, come out and execute and play well. I think it's going to be a long series. I think Boston will get through in the end. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I, you know, you kind of want to pick, like, Celtics in five or maybe six. But I think there's a chance let's go seven because that's a little bit of respect I have for the Heat and Eric Spolster as the Heat coach. What is it about Jimmy Butler? That, and the re you just said it could go seven. Like, that's the only reason one could say that this could go seven, that would mean Jimmy Butler probably puts up multiple 40 and 50 point games. What is it about him in the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know. I, w I wish I knew, you know, and I think the Heat wish they knew too, because they'd bottle it and make sure he did it in the regular season too, right? And wouldn't have to be winning all these uh, road playoff games and the like, but he's a guy who is you know, kind of figured out, you know, all right, this is who I am as a player. And when I get to these points, I'm going to step up in these moments, in these playoff games. I'm going to come through. And that's, you know, it's, you know, we see the very best of the best. That's how they do it. And that's, you know, kind of what Jimmy Butler's doing now. He hops in the phone booth and comes out dressed as Superman and carries them to playoff win after playoff win. Third time in four years that these teams have met in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's it's not like these two organizations, even though you redo the roster every year, aren't familiar with one another. And I think that's what makes this series even more intriguing third time in four years. 
Yeah, there's a, definitely a rivalry component here. It even goes back to before any of these uh, folks other than Eric Spolster were involved because you've got uh, even, you know, when Doc Rivers was coaching the Celtics, the, the Celtics were the ones kind of initially holding the Heat back, and then the Heat kind of came into being and battled the Celtics a handful of times there. But in these uh, primary groups, they, they've been going at it. Like you said, three out of the last four years, they had the, the bubble series, which was a very tightly contested series last year boston won without home court advantage winning a game seven in miami to advance to the nba finals and now we're right back to it you know with a lot of the they think have changed for sure but there's a lot of the same guys in place from from these last few series especially the high-end guys like jason tatum jalen brown jimmy butler so it, that does make it a lot of fun talking to keith smith he covers the nba for Track and celtics blog keith would this be LeBron's most impressive championship? Um, that's a good question. I think still the, the one over the Warriors coming back from 3-1 against that team that it had at that point the greatest regular season we've ever seen and it really not been tested all that much in the playoffs uh, You know, to, to, to that point. I think that's probably still the best one, but this one's going to be way up there. I think you know, what we're seeing is poor roster construction early on and then a lot of injuries held that team back and once they cleaned up their roster mix and then got healthy we were starting to see this team you know really kind of play into who they they are so you know impressive for sure don't get me wrong in a great run as the seventh seed but i'm still going to put that comeback 3-1 against the warriors ahead of it well for the boston celtics doing so with the new head coach joe Mazzula, and, and with the firing of Udoka. I, I think that the Celtics, I wasn't quite sure whether this franchise would have to mash the reset button or whether they would continue to play at an elite Eastern Conference level. And so far, there's been absolutely no drop-off, and you're you're not even thinking that they've had any coaching changes. Yeah, I mean, when you watch them every day like I do, you see very big differences between Udoka and Missoula. It's yeah, there's been quite a significant drop-off uh, defensively up until really the last couple of games uh, is when the Celtics really get back to kind of who they were a year ago as a defensive team. But defense has slipped all across the league this year. This is the greatest offensive season the league has ever seen. So, um, you know, just, you know, as a collective of 30 teams, so everybody fell off. But it's one of those things where when you watch them every day, you see it. But if you're more kind of flying into this point, you're like, well, I mean, hey, they're right back in the same spot they were in a year ago. I guess, you know, not much changed, but they, they, they are very different in the way they approach things, and uh, the, you know, the success level has been still maintained. It's just been a different kind of success uh, with this team under Joe Mazzullo than it was under Ime Udoka. Can the, when you look at the NBA draft, lottery balls being selected tonight and bouncing around, and the greatness that Jason Tatum has showed here within his first five years in the NBA is the greatest Celtic of all time. I know that there's still a debate and a struggle, whether you love Havlicek, Bill Russell, Larry Bird. Who would most Bostonians consider to be the greatest Celtic of all time? Yeah, it depends on the age of the person you talk to. If you talk to my dad, he's going to tell you it's Bill Russell. If you talk to someone of my age, it's Larry Bird. If, if you talk to someone who's in their 20s, they might tell you, 
you know, it's starting to look like it may be Jason Tatum, and that's getting way too far ahead of ourselves as much as I love Jason Tatum and as great as he has played, um, he, he's not just at that level yet. You know, he's got to win some titles and let, let, let's do it for a decade or so. But for my money, it's Larry Bird. I, I think, you know, everything he did, he had the team success with championships in an era when it was extremely hard to win championships. He got it done three different times, got to the finals a couple more times on top of that, and, you know, it was just really, really good. But, yeah, anybody who wants to say Bill Russell, I'm not going to argue too hard with them because he's the greatest single winner in the history of the sport at all levels that we've ever seen. So, you know, I'm not going to argue with anybody who says it's Bill Russell. If you're able to get Lakers versus Celtics in this era again, the excitement and the buzz that would be generated around just that name alone. Yeah, that, that's, i got to imagine, the dream scenario here. You've got the two teams that have been the NBA's marquee franchises, East Coast versus West Coast. Uh, you've got, they've played each other, you know, a million times in the finals. The, the Lakers have, you know, won just as many titles as the Celtics now. They both have 17, and getting them to go head-to-head to break the tie, i got to imagine that's, you know, high on the NBA's wish list, that they would love to see those two teams go head-to-head, and you're, you're kind of getting down to it, too, with the point of, we know how many more years of LeBron at this level we're going to get. You know, we're, we're probably uh, fewer of them than whatever it is we think, and, and that's you know, another thing. So, yeah, that would be an absolute dream matchup, I think, for the NBA, and I think for most fans, including the casual fans. I know they're favored, but it feels like a lot of people think the Lakers are going to give the are going to win this series. What what kind of chance? It feels stupid to say as the one seed. What kind of chance? But what kind of chance do you give the Nuggets to win this? Yeah, I think they have a great chance. I think Denver's really good, and I think you know they, they've kind of been playing with a chip on their shoulder these entire playoffs because I think they went in with the mindset of, uh, hey, we're the one seed here. Like you know, we were the best in the conference. We've got the two-time MVP in Nikola Jokic. We've got Jamal kind of run through this gauntlet already and we're really really good so i think you know they're, they're going in with the mindset of we've got home court advantage it's not going to be easy to beat the lakers but i think they're thinking that they're going to be the team that comes out and i would not be surprised if they do i think you know Jokic is great murray is great they've got a bunch of guys they've got a lot more you know good quality depth than the lakers do and they've got more ways they can hurt you and those kind of things where the lakers it's got to kind of go one way it's got to be lebron setting up a D, and then you know the other guys playing off them with the, the Nuggets. It could be Jokic one night, Murray the next, Aaron Gordon the next. It could be you know uh, Michael Porter Jr. could have the game where he goes out and scores 30, 35 points. So the Nuggets have a lot of ways. It would not be a surprise at all if they win this series. As growing up, as watching Larry Bird take on Michael Jordan or the Celtics and the Pistons. Is TD Garden, that atmosphere, as electric as the Boston Garden? And I know that air conditioners and heat sometimes didn't work at Boston Garden on purpose, but the electricity in the atmosphere with the same exact fans, which one is, is, is more efficient or was more of a better era to play in as far as TD Garden or Boston Garden? Yeah, the, the whole Boston Garden was a better environment for the Celtics just because they – you know, it was almost a, wait, they lost the home game? Like, you'd come away 
almost stunned if that happened, especially in the playoffs. And you know, I mean, they had an NBA regular season where they went forty and one at home and only lost one home game. You know, and then went on to win, I believe, the title that year and didn't lose any home games in that playoff run. So you know, that's sending the fans home one time, sad. You know, at home and. You know, every other time that they went home happy with a victory. So I think, you know, as you look at that Celtics, um, you know, home court advantage, it's good. I think it may be the best in the league where it is right now, but that's just more a case of where things are in today's NBA, where I think, you know, if you go back into that, you know, the Boston Garden in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and, you know, that, that kind of environment, it was just a whole different world back then. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time, Keith Smith. How can people get all your information throughout the NBA and your coverage, especially of that of the Boston Celtics? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Everything I write is, uh, you know, I tweet it and share it there, whether it's for spot track, covering the league as a whole, from a roster, salary cap, uh, you know, view and those kind of things. Uh, that's all, all there. And then specific coverage over on Celtics blog. Keith Smith joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Can't thank you enough. And we look forward to seeing how the Celtics progress and see if they continue to survive and advance to the NBA Finals. And we'll definitely stay in touch. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Keith Smith joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And I know we were talking about the fire at the Dollar General on Lot Road. Apparently, the Alabama section was set on fire from a merchandise standpoint and don't know who it was or why it was, but Alabama, the the merchandise section at the Lot Road Dollar General set on fire today. And I, I'm not sure, Michael, if we'll see a rash of, of these fires or copycat crimes. But I got to find an Auburn section now. I, I will. I will, Look, they are called Auburn, but Auburn. taking it to setting the peril on fire at your local Dollar General is not the route you pay my bail if that happens I, I got your bail money but you know it's one of those things to where is it worth it mm. that's what you have to ask yourself Bronner. would it be worth it my brother it'd be good content it would definitely be interesting content to say the least for, for a day or two and then then i gotta deal with that like in court might not be worth it six months nah, down the line I, I would i would i would definitely pass on that one for sure, Bronner. Think we, on it. I'll get back to you on that. All right. What we did not pass on today is if you were listening to that promo that Lee Shervanian and Mark Heim were given, Mark Heim said it's win or die in today's cornhole challenge. And I, I, I'm I'm hoping that Heim shows up in the morning <laughs> to the morning show. Was that directed at us because they won the first one? That That was definitely directed at us. And, I, you know, shots fired, they were there. And, you know, we went ahead and returned fire today in our cornhole challenge that was held at O'Daly's this morning. Stay tuned for the video tomorrow. That, and I will say this, Bronner, we, we didn't have to show up 
you know, in, in, in any type of flashy game day apparel. Yeah, I, ditched, apparel. I ditched the league fit this week. No league fit. We just came, handled our business at O'Daly's in the cornhole match and took the opening kickoff out. And don't forget, you know, we'll have one more event, which will be pickleball. And I will say this. I've never played competitive cornhole before, but today was a lot of fun. It was my first time playing competitive cornhole. And to, to be victorious is awesome. But the fact that none of us have ever played pickleball, that is going to be a sight to see. And the fact that you can edit Nick Wiggins, there's, there's no way he can edit out what we were able to do to the opening kickoff today for sure in Cornhole at O'Daly's. But it, it was definitely an opportunity for us to redeem ourselves and bounce back because our basketball didn't go as well, and we were on the way to handling them the same way they handled us in basketball. But still a lot of fun today. And WNSP nominated for seven NAPI Awards, so you have an opportunity now to go to www.votenappies.com and not only can you vote for WNSP, but for best sports show, you definitely want to click on the final drive for sure. And we would love your support. We took the sympathy votes a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> but now we'll take the victory laps as well. Uh, and uh, again, someone said, I'm pretty sure they let you win. Come on. I, I guarantee there's no way. We went over 21 three times. We probably scored 45 points in that game. Come no, on. There was no way. If you know Mark Hyman and Triple G, Nick Wiggins. Let us win. Hey, look, today we just handled our business. We Period. won. We, we handled our business. There was no sympathy votes or, or, or gain given by Mark Hyman and, and Nick Wiggins today. They did everything they could to get in my buddy Bronner's head. Bronner blocked it out. Got it done. I know I was able to get the beanbag into the to the cornhole at least eight or nine times. Yeah, you had good technique. Kept it on the board. And Bronner and I were victorious, which was what we want to be. But pickleball, that's going to be fun in regards to no one has ever played pickleball. None of the, the four none of the four of us have played. N no competition whatsoever. I, I have I had to Google what the pickleball would actually look like today and to see the size of the paddles, and, and we're going to have to have a rule enforcer. So if you want to be – if you're a pickleball player and you want to have an opportunity to, to teach us or to help referee this last challenge that we're going to have, we, we're, we're welcome it because we're definitely going to need a referee for sure. And – we're going to have to learn how to play pickleball. So if, if you have, as a listener, played pickleball and can give us any advice. I know Pigskin Pete's a big pickleball player. We'll have to talk to him. Definitely. We'll, we'll take any edge that we can get here. But it, it still was a lot of fun today, the Cornhole Challenge. And Nick Wiggins will be getting that video out as soon as possible. And no, no injuries were sustained in today's competition, unlike when we not really an Not really an injury sport. Nah. <laughs> nah, now nah, arm's still good today, uh, but you know, Mark Heim, win or die in cornhole challenge. That's what his promo is, and we just go ahead and and, and let them rot 
for sure and marinate on this one until we can get our pickleball game in. And we're talking about pickleball to baseball, youth baseball, we'll talk oh. about that after oh, man. our top of the hour at oh, 4 o'clock. Calera. Chris Gordy joining us. What's going on up in Calera? 4.30, Jim Dunaway will be joining us at 4.30. Chris Gordy at 4 o'clock. Nubias Wilborn, he writes for AL.com and covers the Auburn Tigers. At 5 o'clock, we'll have him on. So plenty left here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And, of course, there's been plenty of SEC action in regards to softball and baseball and off out-of-season coverage of Alabama and Auburn football because there's been news from the transfer portal from all of these schools. And who better to call than Chris Gordy? host of Locked On SEC, joining us this afternoon. Chris, always a pleasure to catch up with you. How are you doing this afternoon, my friend? Doing good, guys. It's, uh, it's a busy, busy time of year. Softball postseason starting, baseball final week of the regular season. We've got the NBA draft lottery tonight. So a lot going on. Absolutely. And we were talking in the transfer portal as far as Alabama getting a, a defensive couple of defensive backs out of the transfer portal which is something that's not really unexpected seeing where and who they had to replace that have either graduated or gone on to the NFL but UAB's Jalen Key and Louisiana's Trey Amos two names to where you're not at power five schools but you're having an opportunity to continue your career there yeah and I think it's, this is just a depth a depth play for Alabama. They're, they're just looking for more bodies back there. Uh, they, they believe in Terry and Arnold, Kool-Aid McKinstry. They think these guys are, are going to have big, big years. But I think you just want depth, um, you know, and you want to develop some guys behind there. And, and as we know, Alabama, some of their defensive sets, they'll play a ton of DBs. Um, you know, they'll bring guys on corner blitzes. They need guys dropping in coverage, nickelbacks, dimebacks, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think this is just nothing more than, than depth, uh, you know, adding depth to the to the corner 
uh, room. And, uh, look, Alabama's defense expects to be really good this year. I mean, I think Kevin Steele's going to get them back to the old school, you know, aggressive front. You know, a lot of blitzing, a lot of pressures, a lot of sacks. So, um, yeah, and look, these guys aren't going to be saviors by any means, but nothing wrong with adding a little depth to the room. Yeah, I agree with you as far as adding depth. I think that that's very important. Speaking of Kevin Steele, he'll be the guest speaker or one of the guest speakers tonight at the Team Focus Banquet at the Mobile Convention Center along with John Harbaugh raising money for young men who do not have a father. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about also is we know that Georgia's schedule really has been made fun of and how soft it has been called, even though Kirby did not make the schedule. It's made years in advance. Michigan's schedule is probably as bad or worse than Georgia's is this year. And if Michigan loses one game, let's say, to Ohio State toward the end of the year, still finding themselves with an opportunity to be in the college football playoffs. Yeah, and look, the only reason Georgia's is bad, they had Oklahoma originally on the schedule. They, the SEC is the one who stepped in and went, guys, hey, uh, the, uh, you know, we're expanding to add Texas and Oklahoma, so don't go do that home and home with Oklahoma because we're adding them to the conference. And so they told Georgia and Georgia had to pivot and take them off their schedule and added a, a slappy, and it is what it is. So Georgia, you know, they were supposed to have a good schedule, but – by, you know, by, by the SEC telling them they had to remove Oklahoma, okay, we get it. Michigan has no excuse. Michigan could have gone out and scheduled a, a, a good, non, you know, Power 5 team in their non-conference schedule, and they didn't do that. So that's where I say the onus is a little bit more Jim Harbaugh. Hey, dude, how about you go schedule somebody tough? And, you know, for Georgia at least, like last year, who'd they open with? Oregon. Who'd they play the year before that? Clemson. Like, Georgia's done a pretty good job of going out and scheduling tough non-conference games to start the season. Michigan hasn't. And that's why I look at Michigan's schedule and go, you know what, dude? Like, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. If I'm on that selection committee, I'm setting the tone early on before the season even starts. When they meet for the college football playoff committee, I say, hey, guys, unless Michigan is blowing everybody out of the water, I'm not putting them in the Final Four of the playoff. I'm putting in, I'm, you know, honestly, I'd rather put in a two-loss USC conference champ into the playoff than a one-loss Michigan team that loses to Ohio State, but we're going to look at them and go, well, they're 11-1. we got to put them in. Look how good they are. They're Michigan. Nah, I ain't buying that. When you didn't play anybody good, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. I hope the, the playoff committee knocks Michigan for that fact. If they were on the table, go defeat them and beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, sure, absolutely. I'll punch their ticket. I'll put them in. But if they lose them to Ohio State and they don't win the Big Ten, no, nah, Michigan, you're not getting it. I'm with you on Michigan, Chris, but I've heard this narrative pushed from a lot of Georgia fans about the Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I, you, I mean, am I crazy, or did Alabama play Texas last year and is playing them this year? No? They did, but this was, and I'm with you, this wasn't a Georgia decision. This was an SEC decision. This mm. is Greg Becky saying you can't start a home and home with yeah. them. If this had been a one-off, if this has been like a neutral field in Atlanta, yeah, absolutely, they would have went ahead with it. But the problem is, if Georgia had played Oklahoma, and I forget where the game was, I think, let's just say it was in Athens, Oklahoma would have been sick of playing that they didn't get the return trip. And, well, wait a minute, we're coming to the conference. The reason Texas and, and, and Alabama are making it work is because this is the return trip this year. So it's the reciprocal of the 
the game in uh, in in Austin last year, this year, you know, in Tuscaloosa, which, by the way, they just announced today it's going to oh, officially yeah. be a six o'clock game on ESPN. I'm actually at a Texas X's event tonight. Steve Sarkeesian is going to be here in about two hours, and I'll get to uh, talk with him a little bit and see what he has to say about the uh, that big game being set. But yeah, it, that's the reason for it. And again, Georgia. Look, their, their mission is easy. Go obliterate every opponent you're playing. I think they'll probably do that. Go get a win at Tennessee, uh, beat Auburn, beat, you know, beat everybody in the schedule. And Georgia runs the table. They're in. And I, again, I just give them the benefit of the doubt more so than Michigan, who's done absolutely nothing to earn our respect. Fair, fair enough on giving them the benefit of the doubt, but, I mean, couldn't they have worked something out where, may, I don't know, Oklahoma gets an extra home game in, in their first couple SEC matchups against Georgia or something like that. I mean, Ball State and Tennessee Martin to open the season and then a trip to, and then uh, and then hosting UAB. I mean, come on, man. This is the back-to-back national champion. I'm with you, but again, it's not, and look, I'm not a Georgia fan at all, but like, this was not on Georgia. This was on the SEC offense. So blame Greg Sankey, blame them. I'm with, and look, Georgia, I think they, they wanted to play somebody. They were like, give us somebody, but like, when you're so late in the game and you have to pivot, change your schedule, it's not like somebody, you know, it's not like Indiana's going to raise their hand and go, we'd like to get our butts beat by you, Georgia. Like, nobody wanted to play them. Well, I will say this. I don't know if you've seen this story taking over social media really by fire. And there was a fire here in Pritchard, Alabama, off a lot road to where someone went into the Dollar General store and lit the Alabama Crimson Tide merchandise section on fire. And the Auburn fans really had a lot of clap back and some great lines as far as stop, drop, and roll tide and also a little sampling of not all heroes wear capes and somebody's wedding is ruined. But a little jab there at the Crimson Tide if someone did go into the Dollar General and indeed light up the entire Alabama merchandise section. Well, maybe is this a little bit of retribution for Harvey Updike and poisoning the trees all those years ago? I mean, maybe there's a little payback there. I'll say first and foremost, hoping nobody was injured or hurt or died. So if if, if that's just the case and it was just merchandise set on fire, oh, come on, man. The Iron Bowl is too far away. We, let's play the Iron Bowl this week. Let's get that rivalry back for dude. And it's so funny, guys. I was talking to some Alabama fans a week ago about the season and about that game. And it's so funny. Even Alabama fans, like, are telling me they, they hate that game so much. Like, you think normally a rivalry, you look forward to it. These Alabama fans I was talking to were saying, we, we get nauseous the week of the Iron Bowl. We just don't, like, we're not confident. We just, we, we want it to be over. They describe it as, like, getting a root canal. Like, you just can't wait until it's over. It's so torturous and painful, and you just sweat it out. And even when Auburn's bad, they always seem to, you know, give Alabama a game or, or it's tough for a while, so... Uh, hey, look, man, whatever helps, you know, keep the fire stoked in that rivalry. And hopefully that sends a message to the SEC office here in two weeks when they uh, come to terms in Destin and, and decide on the future meeting of, of, of the schedules that they, they look at it and say, look, first and foremost, first order of business, whatever we do at the future of the schedule, the, the Iron Bowl has to stay. That has to be preserved. It, it really does. And, and we were talking a couple of days ago about the rivalries that you really want to see. Will the SEC go with that uh, three-rivalry format? And if it is Alabama, will it be Alabama and Auburn? Of course, Alabama LSU, or will it be Alabama and Mississippi State, or Alabama and Tennessee? So there's been some debate there, especially with the tradition 
that has gone recently with Nick Saban having been the head coach and winning a national championship at LSU, that that is truly within this last 16 or 17 years been awesome to watch. Yeah, it has. And I like, I appreciated Kirby's quote, you know, saying that, that credit to Nick Saban, he started this whole thing and, you know, winning the championship at LSU is, is really what sparked the, the fire. When you go back to 2003, that elevated LSU's program to a program of excellence. The next year, you know, 2004, they get beat by Georgia. And then suddenly we had this run where, uh, you know, Florida comes up under Urban Meyer. They win two titles. LSU bounces back in 07 under West Miles. They win a title. And then, as we know, 08, 09, and all, and that's where Saban you know, starts the dynasty at Alabama has the epic run. Auburn sneaks in there with the Cam Newton year. They win a title. So it's just been such a fun fun uh, stretch of excellence. And, well, Georgia is the hot dog right now. I mean, they're riding back-to-back championships and setting up for a three-peat this year. But, you know, to me, you know, we can talk about Alabama and their dominance. We can talk about, um, you know, Georgia and their dominance right now. But to me, it's, it's just been the standard of excellence. It's been a rate raised across the SEC. And it's why schools like Mizzou and A&M begged to come in. It's why schools like Oklahoma and Texas were so quick to sign on the dotted line and say, yes, bring us into the SEC because they understand this is where the best football is played. This is where we crown champions. And uh, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. Well, with the announcement of the kickoff time at 6 p.m. and as well as the fact that it's been a couple weeks, Chris, it seems like an appropriate time for, I think, ask two of five. It might be more. It might be more than five. But who's starting at quarterback for Alabama against Texas? Still Buckner? <laughs> I'm going to say Jalen Milrow. Oh, it's changed. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm getting the vibe. Talking with some people, they said just because Buckner's going in there doesn't, doesn't mean he's automatically the starter. And we got all summer for uh, Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow to still prove that they could be the guys. I, I, as of right now, I would say Milrow, but again, that, that'll change if you guys ask me again next week. But uh, that's that's where I am right now. I think the cream will rise to the top, and I think those highly touted quarterbacks or highly recruited quarterbacks will, will improve over the summer. We'll probably do that every other week, I think, is a good system for yeah, that. Yeah, just to see if it, <laughs> it, it changes. Chris Gordy locked on SEC, and I know the SEC tournament Baseball-wise, is getting ready to start here very soon. You still have a lot of jockeying for position. There, There's anywhere from seven to eight SEC teams that could truly win a national championship. In closing this coming series as they prepare to go to Birmingham and play in the SEC tournament, do you have any favorites to win the SEC tournament and win a national championship also? It's wide open, man. I mean, LSU, they just... They dropped two out of three against lowly Mississippi State this past weekend. We're starting to see a trend with, with LSU. They have no pitching behind Paul Skeens. Their Friday night starter is the best pitcher in the country. But after that, they got nothing. Uh, Ty Floyd has kind of been up and down as their Saturday guy. And on Sunday, they had a nine-run lead on Mississippi State and could not preserve it because their bullpen was so bad. So uh, Florida looks really good. Jack Aglioni's been really good. Arkansas has really come on here as a late winning three straight series. So... They look good. And keep an eye on Alabama, man. They, they are 5-2 and two since they got rid of Brad Bohannon. They got a very winnable series against Ole Miss this weekend. I think they can win that one, take two out of three. Uh, them and Auburn, I think, are two teams that could make some noise uh, next week in the SEC tournament. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, softball, we got uh, 13 of 14, uh, or, or rather uh, 12 of the 13 teams that play softball. Vanderbilt doesn't play. But 12 of the 13 teams outside of Mississippi State are all making, you know, made the postseason. So, 
It's going to be fun, man. I expect some SEC dominance in the softball tournament. And, uh, of course, when we get to uh, the baseball tournament as well, it's going to be a lot of fun. Chris Gordy, how can everyone follow your coverage of all the SEC? Yeah, just uh, lock on SEC wherever you get your podcast. We got an episode up today talking about Dylan Rayola picking uh, Georgia, the top recruit in the country for 2024. We'll see if he holds true to it. I know USC is still coming after him pretty hard, and Lincoln Riley's got a good track record of turning quarterbacks into Heisman Trophy winners. But uh, playing quarterback at Georgia, if you look at uh, the recent years, not such a bad gig if you can get it. So we'll see if he, if he sticks with it. Chris Gordy can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon on the final drive, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Chris Gordy joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And when we come back, we'll talk about not the rumble in the jungle, but the brawl on the baseball diamond. You don't get an opportunity to see that too often, especially when it comes to the ages that we're talking about. The final drive. We'll be right back here on WNSP. 105.5, Corey Bounty and Michael Brauner. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey Bounty and Michael Brauner joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And this weekend, of course, it was Mother's Day weekend. And in Calera, Alabama, a tournament hosted by Grand Slam Baseball Alabama was put on the national scene and spotlight as a youth baseball coach absolutely goes bonkers on an umpire. And you normally, when you think about Billy Martin kicking the dirt on the umpire, no, no, you had a parent slash coach tackling an umpire into the dirt and they were rolling over throwing haymakers at one another all at an 11 and under baseball game that's the kicker of the whole headline. 11 and under oh. and when you go and look at the footage and we'll put put it in the app for you to go ahead and take a look at if you have not had an opportunity to see this first and foremost you hate that it's in the state of alabama and being in Calera, Alabama, right outside of Birmingham, you see a coach or a parent absolutely throw haymakers with what they call blue in the day. You know, as an official myself, I get called blue all the time. It's one of those references to the blue shirts that the umpires do wear in baseball and softball. But, Brauner, when you have... 11 and under kids that are watching and you have two adults that are throwing haymakers, one an umpire being swung on by one of the coaches not agreeing with a call. Come on, man. Are you serious? Yeah, make no mistake. It's not like two men got in a fight. Like, you know, you can't put any blame on the umpire here. The coach is getting in his face and pretty much attacking him. I mean, 11 you, that, that's the part of the story I didn't know. Not that you could excuse it if it was you, like you, 16 I mean, you, but no, <laughs> that I mean, just makes it even you, funnier. Four 11-year-olds are scarf. I know when I saw this last night and I retweeted it last night, it was, first of all, it disturbed me that 
you had two adults that were supposed to be setting examples for the children that are 11 and under, and you wonder why you have a shortage of officials across the country. There's not enough money you can pay, and I guarantee those umpires making no more than $75 a game out in the heat calling an 11 and under baseball game in Calera, Alabama. But to catch that haymaker and to sit and be rolling in the dirt and be separated and go for round two, I love me some wrestling. But, man, Bronner, to do it in front of 11 and under baseball children, the the example that we're setting. Do we have a a, a clear idea? Was it a ball strike call? Like what what exactly went down here? I guarantee you it was a ball strike call, something that – that, that the coach did not agree with, and you just start swinging on, and, you know, I, I've been a part of well, a Clearly, it was game. something the coach didn't agree with. It, it I wasn't mean, a call he liked. No, I mean, I, I've been a part of, of games to where parents have come out of the stands and attacked my partner before. I've never been attacked as an official in calling basketball games, but I've seen plenty of fights in between players uh, girls and boys at all levels, whether it was seven and under, whether it was all the way to high school student athletes. But to, to be from Alabama and to see this type of representation, 251-694-1055 is how you can get into us. And, again, we just posted it in the app if you have not had an opportunity to see the aftermath of that. Steve has some thoughts on it. Let's go to a call Steve. real quick. Good afternoon, and welcome to the final drive. Hey, guys, y'all are breaking up a little bit on my phone. But anyway, uh, I umpire, been umpire for a long time. And uh, I just got into the Mobile Association this year after umpiring up in Tennessee for, you know, it's been a long time ago. But people have not changed. I'm just letting you know this. The parents, they're still crazy parents. There's still some crazy coaches, but on the on the the good side of it, they're actually they're trying to you know help the kids do whatever they want. But there's still you got these sometimes you know coaches that I mean they're gonna have their attitudes. I mean I mean you gotta deal with that. Yeah, I have no problem with that. But the parents on the other side, I mean now they take it like you know it's life and death. It's I mean. No, it's not life and death. I mean, come on, man. It's and, uh, I've been threatened and whatever. It's like any umpire, referee, whatever. It's you know, it's part of the game. That's what you sign up for. I don't do it for the money. I do it for the enjoyment of umpiring, refereeing, just you know, because I played ball when I was younger growing up. I just love the sport, whatever I'm in. Well, but Steve. Nowadays, it's crazy. It is crazy, Steve. Can't thank you enough for listening to the final drive and, and calling in, especially 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with this. But I agree with Steve. As an official, I have seen it get worse, and, and we definitely don't officiate for the love of the money because there's not enough money. We should be paid twice than what we're paying, and kudos to the AHSAA for giving pay raises across the board to all the officials because there's a national shortage of officials. And those same officials that you see calling high school football are the same ones you see on Saturday calling these recreational teams and parks 
leagues and and these AAU tournaments and these baseball tournaments, you're not going to have a game without umpires. And if you continue, I know that some states it's a felony, a felony when you strike an official. I so saw that. It, 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 is it a felony here? It differs it by it should states. be. It, it, it definitely differs by states. And I know that, you know, if you if you hit an official and you're not provoked, then you're going to jail. And that's the end of the story as far as what you should see and what you should not see. It's really sad. And as an official, you do it for the love of whatever sport you want to apply for. But you shouldn't have to worry about being attacked. And 11-year-olds shouldn't have to witness that. But that one bad apple definitely spoils the bunch. 4.30 coming up. Jim Dunaway will join us and he'll give us his thoughts on the Crimson Tide and some comments that were made by Hugh Freeze at a local and recent golf tournament in Birmingham, Alabama. The final drive will be right back. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And no shortage of stories going around the SEC, especially from an Alabama Crimson Tide standpoint. And want to welcome our next guest making his debut here on the final drive this afternoon. Jim Dunaway, sports host at Next Round Live. Wonderful daily show that jim does jim good afternoon and thanks for joining us here Corey michael man always fun to be on i've been looking forward to this for a long time love that area of the state and excited to talk a little alabama football well i tell you jim just some great news today in regards to a couple of things that were breaking yesterday it was announced that alabama would play arkansas for their homecoming game and then today 6 o'clock p.m on september 9th the crimson tide take on the longhorns of texas under the lights at bryant denny stadium it won't be as hot as it was in texas but <laughs> at least you'll have a whole day to chill out on the quad and enjoy college football oh i listen i, I think six o'clock is a perfect kick time for college football in tuscaloosa we ended up you know with that early kick because of the fox broadcast out in Austin, and all the Alabama fans were pushed to the outer rim of the stadium. I can't wait to see what the return seating is for the fans from Austin who come to town, but they should get better weather with that 6 o'clock kick. I love that kick time. I think that's perfect uh, for uh, a kick in Tuscaloosa. And for this game, that really is going to be our first chance to see how good this Alabama football team can be. Well, i tell you, you know, if it's – rivalries that you love today here in Pritchard, Alabama on Lot Road. Someone set a Dollar General Alabama Crimson Tide merchandise area on fire, and that's the type of rivalry that you love to see getting heated up for the upcoming college football season for sure. <laughs> There's nothing like college football fans, right, to get the rivalry going, but I uh, you know, Texas is going to be really good. I don't know where you guys have them as far as the conversation for a college football playoff, but in their last year at the Big 12 with what Stark and the team 
uh, that we're very familiar with with their coaching and their recruiting. Bo Davis is there, a name that's very familiar with Alabama fans. I think they have one of the better rosters in college football, and I think they're going to fit in very nicely into the SEC, as will Oklahoma. I'm looking forward to that game and several others as we get this TV schedule released. And I apologize for the dog. Hey, that, um, you know how they right. are. Occasionally, if someone walks by, you may get a dog barking in the background. No no worries right here. Sometimes it's all bark and no bite. So you're good with us here <laughs> on the final drive, Jim. And Jim, also, the Crimson Tide, I know a few years ago when I had an opportunity to meet you down in Miami when Alabama was playing Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, it was one of those situations where Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa were calling the signals for the Crimson Tide. But now five scholarship quarterbacks on the roster, and we mentioned the ability to play Texas underneath the lights. But come that second week, who do you think is going to be calling the signals for Nick Saban? You know, I'm not giving up yet on Jalen Milrow. Uh, I think he has some, uh, some potential to do a lot of things that they're going to want to do in this new offense with, with Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator. But obviously Tyler Buckner was brought in for a reason. Ty Simpson has a lot of skills. But I don't think this quarterback competition is over with. I remember, as you guys do, Jake Coker, when he came from Florida State, we all said, well, they don't bring in Jake Coker from Florida State if they don't think he's going to be the starting quarterback. You don't waste a scholarship and a guy transfers in without some promises. But remember, Blake Sims kept that job all through 14 and led Alabama to the playoff. So I don't necessarily think that Tyler Buckner is the guy. He's not going to be given anything. And I still think Jalen Milrow has potential, and so does Ty Simpson. So I don't think this battle over, uh, is over yet. And it's not going to surprise me if it's a lot like, you know, the 2014 season or if you go way back to 2011 when A.J. McCarron didn't really take over the starting role for Alabama until they were on the road to Penn State. It wouldn't surprise me if you see three quarterbacks in that first game against Middle Tennessee and we sort this thing out and get a true starter in week two against Texas under the light. Talking to Jim Dunaway, he's a host that next round live covers Alabama. Jim, you're the second person today to bring up Jalen Milrow first, and I, I agree with you that it kind of feels like it's maybe trending in that direction. It it felt like for a while as we kind of began the offseason, it was Ty Simpson, Ty Simpson, Ty Simpson. Do you think it's the case of he just hasn't gotten a lot better? Like It felt like he really should have separated himself based on what Jalen Milrow was when he was on the field. Well, Milrow was highly recruited, but Ty Simpson was too. So was Lonergan and, and, and Holstein. So there's no lack of stars in that quarterback room. But obviously they didn't see something in the you know the, the bowl practice and then the 15 practices they had in the not to go out and add Tyler Buckner. Buckner brings instant, um, you know, an instant uh, nuance to the room because he knows Tommy Reese. Reese knows him so well, and that's like a security blanket. But I still think that there is a bigger uh, space above Tyler Buckner if Milrow or Simpson can live up to their potential. Now, obviously, that hasn't happened yet, or Buckner wouldn't be in Tuscaloosa. But Buckner, to me, is like that security blanket. Milrow and Simpson, I think, have a lot higher that they can go. They just haven't reached that potential yet. You know, sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't find out really what you have until you start playing the game. And, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts didn't become Jalen Hurts until you get that fumble early on in that USC game and they throw 
they throw um, Jalen into the game, and then he never lets go of that thing for, for a long, long time. So uh, that's why I want to see these guys in that first game against MTSU, and I think the schedule sets up perfectly uh, for a transition at quarterback for Alabama. Well, you mentioned transitioning from Alabama over to Auburn. Their recent additions from a quarterback position coming from Michigan State, and now you have Caleb Burton from a wide receiver standpoint. Today, Jair Short from North Texas decides he wants to become an Auburn Tiger also. I know you had the opportunity to speak with Hugh Freeze last week in Birmingham at the Regents Pro-Am, and Hugh Freeze has been very busy and having some great additions, and Auburn may finish better than six wins. Well, that schedule's tough, but, I mean, you, uh, you, 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 you find it hard to imagine them losing one of these out-of-conference games right there. Their big out-of-conference game is on the road in Berkeley at Cal. The other three games are not very challenging. So those are four wins for them there. And then they get a bandy team you think they can beat. So now to get to six, uh, Ole Miss or Mississippi State, if you win both of those, that gets you to seven. Now those are winnable games with or without the addition uh, at quarterback there. But I think you bring in the quarterback for the same reason. Robbie Ashford's had some signs, but, um, you know, they just they didn't have the talent in the quarterback room that Alabama had. I think Alabama – brought in Buckner as a security blanket. When you bring in uh, the, the transfer from Michigan State that Auburn brought in, you bring him in to be your starter. And when we talk to Hugh Freeze out there uh, at, at the region's tradition, the golf event here in Birmingham, it was all about recruiting for him, reworking that roster. And he, he doesn't you know mix words very much when he talks about how far that roster has fallen behind the last couple of years. And, you know, from, from what he said, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and some of the other SEC programs have. So his main job is to flip the roster. He's trying to do it a little bit with the portal first, but he's going to really do it in recruiting the next two years. Hughes a good free, a good fit at Auburn, and I think a lot of fans are going to be happy with what they put on the field this year, but more excited about what that recruiting class looks like in December and the second signing period into 2024. Yeah, how much does Peyton Thorne from Michigan State – improve Auburn from a straight win standpoint this year in year one of Hugh Freeze before some of that recruiting really starts to take effect? Well, I mean, Peyton's best year was two years ago when they had Kenneth Walker at running back. And I think Auburn has that type of talent uh, in the running back room, even without Tank Bixby. Jarquez Hunter can carry the rock really well. They have some other young guys behind Hunter that will provide a good running game. The rebuilt offensive line, um, is is suitable for a run game in the SEC. So I think Auburn will look a lot like Michigan State looked offensively, run first, and then Thorne's good enough at throwing the football. And as uh, you know, I read some people that uh, reacted from the Big Ten. I was reading some stories up there, and I think it was my buddy Bruce Felmer with the Athletic who talked to a defensive coordinator. He said, "Every time I looked at Peyton Thorne, he always scared me." because he made the right decisions of when to run the football. It wasn't always run the football, but he has enough athleticism that when he does run the football, he can really hurt you. So that's enough that you have to keep him honest. So I think that'll fit well into Hughes' theme, uh, in Hughes' scheme. I mean, it's not Malik Willis at Liberty. It's not like the, the quarterbacks he had at Ole Miss. But I think it'll be good enough to where he can keep him honest with throwing the football with his legs to free up that running game with Jarquez and company. We're speaking with Jim Dunaway, sports host of Next Round Live. And, of course, 
Jim, one of the things that a lot of Alabama fans are looking forward to is seeing Alabama run the damn ball again, and that being the <laughs> mantra behind the offensive line this year. One of the deepest positions that I think this Crimson Tide team will go into this season will be at the running back position. And do you expect to see Alabama have success like they had in the past? And the fact that they don't go in with high expectations may not even be in a preseason ranking AP top five. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny that the AP ranking is get a lot getting a lot of conversation. And if you look back since Alabama won the national championship in 2009, I think it's only two other times that they haven't been in the top three and they ended up winning uh, the national championship uh, both those times. And I think it was 15 and maybe it was 2020, something like that. Uh, so they've done well when they haven't been number one or number two. But they're usually number one or number two, and that's not going to be the case this, this time around. But your running back question is a good one. Uh, this team, I think, is with, with the hiring of Tommy Reese, is a guy who I, who I know puts value on running the football. Nick Saban had a chance to talk to him at a charity golf tournament for the Rice program at North River. He was on our show. And off uh, camera before we did the interview, he was talking about how much he liked this uh, sort of reworked offensive line, how much more physical they are with the new coaching they've gotten. Um, and, and then the running backs. Jace McClellan, Jace McClellan and Roydale Williams are two guys we know. And then Justice, Justice Haynes, the big guy who has come in, the big five-star recruit, I think they feel really good about a running game that can get back to getting those physical, you know, three, four, five yards that can make a passing game, a little play-action passing game, work a lot more. If you'll remember, A.J. McCarron's best throws often came in a play-action situation. Whether you want to go back to an SEC championship game, win over Georgia, or, or whatever, it was, it was a play-action usually that opened up the passing game for A.J. And I think that will benefit these young quarterbacks the most, having a physical running game that you can work a little play action off of. Well, not only Alabama having more depth there, we'll switch gears with sports as far as the depth for the Alabama baseball program. They've kind of turned the corner after the firing of Brad Bohannon, and I thought that the light would shine bright and one of two things would happen. Either Alabama would answer the bell or they would fold under the spotlight, and so far they've continued to flourish here down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, since the uh, interim coach came in, you're 5-2. and two. You've won two SEC series, one at home against the number five team, and then you go on the road and you take a series, a series at College Station. Ole Miss, the defending national champs in Tuscaloosa to wrap up the regular season, and then it's the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament they had for this, uh, for this squad. So I think they've done a wonderful job of picking up the pieces. Um, but the problem is in the SEC – um, you know, whether whether you can beat an Ole Miss team that's down and out, a team Auburn just swept, or, uh, you know, you get another series win there, and then you go into the SEC tournament. Usually everybody's in Hoover's in the NCAA tournament, and then you, you uh, try your luck there. But I think this baseball team, you know, wasn't doing too bad with Bohannon either. But without him, they sort of taken it to a different level. So I like what this baseball team is, and I'm more excited about what it can be when – uh, Greg Byrne gets an opportunity to bring in a new coach. I think it's a very attractive job uh, to a guy who may be right now at a group of five level and getting the job done. 
Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for your time this afternoon spending with us here on the final drive. Always love tuning in and watching Next Round Live. And how can people follow all your great coverage and all your outstanding interviews that you comprise each and every day? Uh, well, we got a good one with Kirby Smart that we'll release tomorrow. Our YouTube channel, really easy to get. You just go on YouTube and you just search Next Round Live. And when you get there, just like and subscribe. It's absolutely free. You can download the Next Round Live app. Just go to your Apple Store, the Next Round, type that in. We don't even steal your information. Uh, every time we go to a convention of small businesses, they're like, you're leaving a million dollars on the table, not getting them to enter a bunch of personal information. We're like, we're not those type guys. Uh, it's a free download. It plays instantly there. The app does. But the YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, all the place, just type in Next Round Live, and you'll find us on all the platforms. Well, Jim, look forward to continuing to talk to you as we approach SEC Media Days here within the next couple of months and chopping up with you again as we continue to follow the Crimson Tide and everything that goes on in the offseason. 62 days to Nashville, man, for SEC Media Day, so we're not far away. Absolutely looking forward to it. Jim, thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you again very soon. Always fun to be on the final drive, guys. Thank you. Jim Dunaway, sports host of Next Round Live, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Juan Sierra, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive getting ready for the top of the hour. And, of course, when we were talking to Chris Gordy, we were looking at how soft Georgia's schedule is and their road to trying to get a three-peat in the national championship. Michigan, their 23 schedule, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers. Then they go at Nebraska, at Minnesota, Indiana, at Michigan State, Purdue, at Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. If they are not undefeated going into the Ohio State <laughs> game, I'm absolutely shocked. And even if they lose that game, that one loss, I still think would have Michigan on the prefaces of making the college football playoffs. Yeah, uh, Penn State might present a challenge just because it's, it's on the road. Happy Valley. They're sh they should be pretty good. They're upgrading at quarterback, I believe. Sean Clifford's out of there, and Drew Lahr is supposed to be pretty good, at least according to my Penn State friends. Uh, so take that with a grain of salt. But uh, there's just I, the non-conference is just Loxley at Maryland and Tonga Vailoa to his younger brother may yeah. give I Michigan so. a, a little scare there. They gave Ohio State a game this at past least, year. Yeah, I mean, at least three quarters. But opening up as far as East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers, and Nebraska. Chris had an interesting point. Like, if they win, if they lose a game, say it's to Ohio State, like a one-loss Michigan versus, uh, you know, a two-loss Pac-12 champion USC. I mean, come on, man. What, what are we doing putting a one-loss Michigan in the playoff and it might happen too. Like if they're eleven and zero and lose a close game to Ohio State, they they might find a way to sneak in, which would be so annoying. Yeah, 
I, I, I think that, again, Michigan having an opportunity sooner or later. Jim Harbaugh, he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. And either you're going to poop or get off the pot, so to speak, <laughs> at Michigan. And I haven't I, heard it phrased that way before. That's that's the nice way to put it. Poop or get off the pot as far as your success or lack thereof at Michigan. Because you, you keep getting there, you keep getting there. It's not going to get any easier as it expands because you take an upset when you're not having an opportunity to be the top four teams in the country, and then you get beat then. I think the pressure continues to turn up. But I'm looking forward to seeing how much longer Coach Jim Harbaugh even wants to be at Michigan. Yeah, it's it's back-to-back playoff appearances. It's it's almost like a Brian Kelly at Notre Dame situation. Not that Michigan can't recruit elite talent. They can, uh, maybe not to the extent of Ohio State, but – you have to wonder, like, what's the ceiling there? I don't think that team can win a national championship. No way. I think they can make the playoff consistently. Brian Kelly was making the playoff at Notre Dame, but you got to want. And I don't think, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is coming down to coach an SEC team anytime soon. It's just so. I obviously the logical step there is for him to go to the NFL. Yeah. I just don't think that. Yeah. I just I just don't think it's ever going to happen in terms of Michigan winning a national championship. Speaking of Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, his brother, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, in town tonight at the Mobile Convention Center along with the defensive coordinator of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Kevin Steele. Team Focus Banquet will be held at the Mobile Convention Center, so if you would like to go hear them, you can do so tonight supporting the Team Focus organization. Top of the hour, Nabias Wilborn, AL.com. He covers the Auburn Tigers, has had some great stories. We'll talk to him at the top of the hour here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's time to lock in. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty joined by Michael Brauner. We're taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. Or you can get in touch with us in our WNSP app here, the Sound of Mobile app. And, of course, today, earlier today, Michael Brauner and I were victorious in our second round of athletic events of course we were skunked in basketball and today we redeemed ourselves with a friendly game of cornhole the competition is real and again all playing for the nappy votes www.votenappies.com you can go ahead and select best sports show 
and click on the final drive there. We would love to have your vote. And someone I'm always voting and rooting for is Nabias Wilborn, our next guest here on the final drive. Good afternoon, my friend. How's everything going, Mr. Wilborn? Man, I'm doing fantastic, man. I love the introduction, love the energy, brother. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. And a lot of energy has come and gone into the Auburn Tigers football program. Hugh Freeze is hired after a not so, I would say, nice I would I'm going to be polite. I'm going to say it was a dumpster fire in Auburn's football program. But Hugh Freeze is definitely trying to change things. He does so bringing in a lot of transfer guys and was able to grab one today. So Auburn Tigers continue to be busy in the transfer portal. Well, I mean, that's the thing, man. It, it just doesn't stop with Hugh Freeze. And, I mean, you really got to give him a lot of credit. He has come in. He has committed himself to finding players who can contribute quickly and immediately to success in Auburn. I mean, he has figured out it's okay. Now let's say this. I personally had a decent relationship with Bonnard. I was a pretty good relationship with Bonnard. I got no beef with him. I just think that unfortunately by the time he um realized where he was, it was a little bit too late. And unfortunately, all the stuff that happened in the February after that season, the tank basically stays in bounds, you know. So many things could have been different, but it just didn't work. And but he freeze, he immediately knew where he, where he was. He immediately understand, understood the task, and he is so far been ready for it. And that's the great thing if you're an Auburn fan, the excitement that he's been generating around this program. And I know you wrote a phenomenal article on AL.com saying, hey, look, what are the expectations for the Auburn Tigers this season? Will they make a bowl game in Hugh Freeze's first season? My personal answer to that is yes, because he's building a culture, a different type of culture around that Auburn Tigers program. Nothing knocking Cadillac, because I'm glad he retained Cadillac and the energy that Cadillac brought as the interim head coach and continues to bring as an assistant coach is second to none. But I personally think that Auburn will make a bowl. What game and what tier bowl that will be, you just have to have that building block first. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You got to have the building block. You got to build on what you have done so far. And you got to hope that everything continues to go well. I mean, and it's tough, man. I mean, it's, you know, this conference, man. It's not easy. You know, I do think there is a good situation with Auburn being in a situation where the first three games are ones that you would expect to win, right? Realistically speaking, you would expect for Auburn to beat UMass, to drop the Cal and beat Cal, and then to beat Sanford. And to be honest, in some ways, Sanford might be the toughest game of that three because Sanford was another one team last year that absolutely will give Auburn problems because they're bringing back their quarterback who was one of the best quarterbacks in on the FCS division. And also, you know where Sanford is in comparison to Auburn, and you're pretty sure you're going to have a lot of guys there who probably wanted to be at Auburn. Nebias, Peyton Thorne, how much does he change things? Obviously, he changes what Auburn's going to do on offense. You have to assume he's coming in to be the starter. 
wins wise, him versus Robbie Ashford, how much does Peyton Thorne move the needle? I mean, he moves it a lot. I mean, um, it is one of those things where it won't be easy for Ashford, but I mean, if Robbie wants a starting job, he's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to earn it against a guy who who is faster than people realize, okay, who does have arm talent and also has had success and wins at a high college level. I know down here people don't really look at the Big Ten the way they probably should, but there's some good football being played up there. And Peyton Thorne has had success, whereas Robbie Ashford has not had success yet. It's going to be an interesting battle coming to fall camp, and it's going to be worth watching. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. There's excitement around this Auburn Tigers program going into the fall season. We're speaking to Nabias Wilborn. He is and covers the Auburn Tigers for AL.com. And also, when you speak of the transfer portal, we're just not talking about football. Bruce Pearl, from a basketball standpoint, he's going to have a brand-new roster, but one of the people that he's going to have to be able to do it with is a freshman point guard, Aiden Holloway, and some other guys who are going to come in and help the Auburn Tigers get back to the top of the Southeastern Conference. Well, I mean, the reality of it is, is now you're looking at a situation where every team is going to be replacing at least three guys every year out of the portal, off their team. Right now, I mean, there's only three guys who are returning players from last season who are, who are officially on the team. Katie Johnson, Chris Moore, and Trey Donaldson, the sophomore guard, right? Okay. You had Westview transfer. You had Johan Traor transfer. Um, you had like three or four guys, including Janai Broom, who were trying to go into the NBA draft. Also, you had Alan Flanagan, long, long-time guy, transferring out, going to the portal, and Wendell Green, who was a all-SEC point guard two years, uh, last year, is in the portal. So this is what it is. It's the changing landscape of college football. With uh, staying on the basketball team, how much did the departure of West Flanagan hurt recruiting? I mean, it felt like LeBaron Phylon decommitted right away. They lost another recruit. Uh, it, it was Flanagan that critical to the program recruiting-wise? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think one of the things is he hasn't gotten the chance to – I mean, I, excuse me. I think that he hasn't gotten the credit that he deserves. And I believe now some of those things are sharp. So that being said, I think they did a good job of hiring Corey Williams, who does have a lot of respect and a lot of ex- a lot of good experience, and I think he'll help. But yeah, now that's a tough thing because again, Wes was one of the primary guys who dealt with a lot of these kids, who knew them well, um, and losing him out of the program will hurt you in recruiting as well as just continuity. Plus, again, it's one of the things you mentioned Cadillac earlier. Well. Um, who else would have more experience with offering basketball programs than someone like Wes Flanagan, who has been so successful for Auburn on the court and as an assistant coach? That's a lot of intellectual talent that you're losing. It is, and when you're talking about losing or losing a lot, Auburn baseball in the early part of the season was doing just that. And they seem to turn the corner at the right time. This is a team that we saw in the College World Series a year ago. And 
the deep SEC has not changed. Can Auburn make that push and make it back, not only winning the SEC tournament, but possibly making another appearance in the College World Series? I mean, why not? I mean, they have shown. Now, again, it's going to be a little tougher, but hey, why not? I mean, if you look at these last three series, beating LSU, just beating Ole Miss, I mean, you look at what's beating South Carolina, going up to South Carolina, and beating one of the number one team in the country, then also beating another top team at LSU, and then beating a perennial power in Ole Miss in consecutive weekends. And they have a chance to close out pretty strong against a Missouri team this weekend. And then who knows what happens to get to that conference tournament over in Birmingham, and yeah, they could get hot. I mean, you get the right pitching going on, shout out to Tommy Vale. You look at the way the team is hit, the way they feel it. Yeah, they can get hot, man. And kind of ruined my summer a little bit by having me uh, follow some baseball for a little bit longer. Auburn softball gets that at-large bid. And I know that that program at 40 and 17 was tremendously excited about having the opportunity to continue their postseason. Wait a minute. Are you talking about softball? Yeah, yes, sir. I mean, look, I, I will say – the draw they got was a very difficult draw, um, considering they were third in the SEC, and you see a few SEC teams who finished behind them in the regular season, who Auburn beat during the regular season, get to host their higher seeds, and Auburn goes in unseeded, has to go through a tough Clemson, and then if somehow Auburn's able to come out of that region against Clemson, guess what their reward is? Who are they coming out with? They'll be playing the number one team in the nation, Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> if they're able to come out of the Clemson series while having to go up there, if they're able to win that, their next would be the one of the Oklahoma region, and Oklahoma is in that region. They're the number one team in the nation. So, yeah, but this Auburn team has the best pitcher in the conference. They've hit home runs. They field it well. They have 21 shutouts, which is like fourth in the nation. Number one team in shutouts, Oklahoma. So, you get what I'm saying? So, yeah. very tough draw for Auburn, but they're in the postseason. And shout out to what they have been able to do over there. And who knows how it could go. Well, a lot of great things going on at Auburn during the offseason time from football and basketball. And, of course, you have us all covered for baseball and softball as we're getting at that time of the year to where they're starting their postseason play. Nobias Wilborn, how can everyone follow your coverage of the Auburn Tigers and everything Auburn. Man, first of all, check me out on the Twitter at, at Um I work for AL.com, Alabama Media Group, and you saw AL.com slash Tobias Wilborn or AL.com slash Auburn, and you will find all the things we do throughout the Auburn Athletic Complex here. Well, Tobias, it was a pleasure meeting you at the Iron Bowl a couple of years ago in that historic game at Jordan-Hare Stadium, that five-overtime game, and looking forward to seeing you, Lord willing, again at SEC Media Days and at the Iron Bowl again this year. So thank you for joining me this afternoon on the final drive, and we'll talk again real soon. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Nobias Wilborn joining us this afternoon on the final drive, giving us an idea of what to look forward to from his Auburn Tigers coverage. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. We'll be right back.
This is George Parra, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner taking your telephone calls 251-694-1055. And, of course, earlier we were talking about the fact that officials, and we had someone in the app respond, said that they were considering becoming uh, an official. And it doesn't matter what sport that you would love to officiate. I know that we were talking about the incident that occurred in Calera, Alabama, to where an umpire was jumped on by a parent slash coach. And if you're considering becoming a, an official, go ahead and join the local association because there is a shortage of officials. But there's there's no shortage of NFL broadcasters. That's for certain as Matt Ryan joined CBS as an analyst. He was the NFL MVP in 2016 mm. and will be a studio and game analyst. Played 15 NFL seasons. He's one of those guys that if called upon today, I think he could probably leave the CBS booth and, and be a backup quarterback again in the NFL. But he may be calling some of your New England Patriots <laughs> games, Michael Bronner. Yeah, I think he'll do a good job in the booth. Matt Ryan always seemed like a personable guy it seems like he'd be fine in the booth it's not certainly not for everyone just ask uh, like Jason Witten about that I mean he was a disaster but I I have no uh no qualms about Matt Ryan in the booth I think that'll be fine well your New England Patriots I know that you were on vacation and Tom Brady mm. is having an opportunity to be honored by the Patriots in week number one and Tom Brady has also talked about having a piece of the Las Vegas Raiders organizations. Why, if they're going to honor him from a Patriot standpoint, why not give him an opportunity to buy in to, <laughs> to Mr. Bob Kraft's organization? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's for sale, unfortunately, for uh, for give Tom him a piece. there. Let him buy in. Yeah, that that'd be the ultimate parting gift. Although I don't think they've ever retired a number, so we'll see if they end up retiring twelve. But on that. Uh, we'll see what happens, but they do play Philly week one. I was going to trip before when the opponents were known before the schedule was known. I was going to try to make a trip to that game uh, with my with my friend who's a uh, who's a big Eagles fan. Uh, but at this point, tickets that game are looking like seven, eight hundred bucks. That's probably not going <laughs> to happen as much as I'd love to be at Brady Day. I think it's going to be difficult to make that happen. Mike, for that price, you can get you a 75, 80 inch television. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I probably won't make. Yeah. But you're not at Brady Day at that point. But in all seriousness, like be in the game that way. <laughs> be in the game It is so annoying. Like. Oh, like if there wasn't enough, like Belichick can't do it without Brady, not, you know, yada, 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 whatever you want to say. Mac Jones isn't Tom, which he clearly isn't uh, and never will be. But, you know, we get to honor Tom Brady and you know, reflect on all the memories of Tom Brady. And then we have the Eagles coming to town to probably blast us in week one. It's just poetic that that has to be the week one. Get like, really, man, it, it couldn't. Be. We got Miami week two. I think I like our chances to at least compete in that one on Sunday night in week two, but we got to honor Tom Brady and then play Philly in that front seven. Mac Jones might throw 10 picks in that game. Uh, it, it's not good. I, I'm not feeling great about 
the schedule. I think it's pretty brutally hard in terms of opponents' l records last year. It's right up there with the hardest in the league. But the fact that you open with Philly on Brady Day, it just is going to – you know, I can already see the takes flying on Twitter. Oh, put Brady in the game. Oh, like, it, that joke is going to be made a million times, so just get ready for that. And you don't think that Tom Brady is going to respond to those? You think he's going to take an stride <laughs> in the Patriots, get a beat down? No, I think I think Brady has too much respect to, to you know, make a make a mockery of that. But believe me, Mark Heim will, will come on here on Monday and say, oh, you know, Patriots should have put Tom Brady in the game. Oh, yeah, something, something along the something <laughs> along those lines. Which honestly is probably uh, probably fair for how I expect that game to go. Although, you know, it's week one, wacky things happen. Who knows? All right, your Patriots were eight and nine a year ago. Yeah. All right, finished third in the division. Now, you've seen your opponents. You've seen where you have to go to play your opponents. Mm. My Dolphins on the back end of the schedule. We're at home. We're in the warm weather. We don't have to go to cold places. Four out of our last five games. So if we struggle out of the gate. We, we can make it up on the back end in the warm weather in Miami. But what, yeah. what, do you, what are your Patriots? Are they going to be better than 8-9, and nine, Bronner? Certainly it's going to be hard to. Uh, while I think they've improved both on offense and defense, the schedule is a lot harder. Obviously there's the big looming factor that what has been two free wins uh, every season in the Jets, 14 in a row to be specific. Obviously the Jets are bringing in Aaron Rodgers. So 8-9... and nine, wouldn't be a, a horrible result with this schedule. Eight and nine would kind of be a horrible result because it's probably enough to like keep everything intact and keep them from making any like major moves, like as in getting a new head coach and getting a new quarterback. But yeah, like five wins is probably enough for them to make some major changes. Whereas like winning ten games with this schedule and making the playoffs is going to be really really difficult. I think it's possible. I think the drafting Christian Gonzalez and having what should be arguably the best secondary in football, a really solid front side. They got a top three defense. Uh, there are no question marks with this defense, but we'll see how much Bill O'Brien actually can elevate this offer. I mean, it can't be as bad as it was. They upgrade slightly weapons-wise, and you don't have a, a bearded moron running the offense. So it, well, should be, it. it should be a little bit better on offense and should be even better on defense. So I don't know. In a best-case scenario, they could win 10 games and make the playoffs. John Harbaugh. In Mobile tonight for the team focus organization, the Ravens, with Lamar Jackson. They're going to be good. How good can the Ravens be, They're gonna be good. this year? They're going to be really good. I, I loved – it was one of my favorite picks. Not loved because I hate the Ravens. But uh, in terms of thinking it was a good pick, the Zay Flowers pick, uh, yeah. the Boston College receiver, he's actually one of my favorite players in the entire draft. I was so jealous you guys had to have, had to have Harbaugh on while I was gone. I would have asked him all about Zay Flowers. But, of course, you bring in Odell as well yeah. for Lamar, and you obviously you signed Lamar back, and he's happy now, and he's all bought in. Uh, Mark Andrews is still a factor as well. Rashad Bateman should be healthy this year. I think the offense this year, you bring in Todd Munkin as well and get rid of that archaic Greg Roman system that's ultimately gotten them nowhere. So I think uh, kind of the sky's the limit. I really do think the Ravens could win the AFC North this year yeah. and, hey, and, and give the Bengals a, a heck of a fight. That's what I would love to see. Lamar kind of jokingly said he wants to throw for 6,000. Don't know if he'll throw for 6,000. Yeah, it won't be that many. He, even if he throws for 3,500, he'll be in great shape. He'll throw for more yards this year than he has 
in a season in his career. I think I'll I think I'll predict that. I think they'll have him run less just naturally in a in a Todd Munkin versus Greg Roman offense, which uh yeah, he'll run when he needs to, but I think I just think he's going to be so productive as a passer. He has weapons he hasn't had before. and I don't think Lamar is this elite passer. I don't think anyone thinks Lamar is this elite passer, but in all fairness to the guy, and I've been critical of Lamar before. We we've had this argument, me, you and Nick, but in all fairness to the guy, he hasn't ever had the cast of weapons that he has. Heck, if he struggles as a passer this year, there's no excuse for Lamar anymore. Well, you didn't struggle with weapons today in Cornhole. You were talking about Mark Hahn making fun of your New England Patriots. So, mm. you know, now you can go ahead and, and it's time to take those lips back to Mark Hahn and, and let everybody know how, how I'm fair today in, in our friendly game of opening kickoff versus final drive cornhole he wasn't very good uh he wasn't terrible for someone who said he said he's never played cornhole which i was really shocked to hear i mean he he, he looks like a, a dad that would have a beer in his hand and and, and toss bags in the backyard i, I was really shocked it because i thought heim was gonna be really good like just he just comes off as a guy he gives off cornhole dad vibes i i really thought he'd be a guy that <laughs> plays a lot of cornhole uh, and i thought he i thought he'd be like a cornhole superstar i was a little bit concerned about it but it was not the case i, I would say of the four of us he certainly performed the worst obviously cornhole's a game of matchups you know i had to handle nick and you had to handle mark and you handled mark just fine he, I he, had no he, problem with he you, you had no problem i think you won the matchup without a doubt he put some in he did okay yeah he got better as the game went on but when it came down to it you know mark mark choked he, he couldn't hit he couldn't hit the board <laughs> when he counted today. at the end he, cho he, he hey, choked hard the game for his team yeah there were a and couple of chances he choked he, I, there's no nicer way to say it mark uh i don't i know he's not listening but he he choked he absolutely or choked. Die is his promo. Yeah, he, he died. He died. He choked. He today. died. He choked. Whatever, whatever phrasing you want to put on it. Markheim, Markheim choked, and some look, of, some of us clutched up. Look for the footage that Nick Wiggins Triple G will put together of our round two, round one of basketball went to the opening kickoff. Round two of cornhole goes to the final drive, and we would love your vote. Your nappies vote, www.votenappies.com. Click on Best Sports Show. And when you click on that tab under media, that's that's Best Sports Show for the final drive. And we would love to have your votes. It's WNSP nominated for seven nappy awards. So plenty of selections that you can make, but the final drive on Best Sports Show. NBA Talk, we have the draft lottery ball selection tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that on the other side of this break here on the final drive. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey the Bounty and Michael Brauner. And, of course, tonight, game one, Lakers at Denver. LeBron will try to continue to, to eat grass as the GOAT is what some people call LeBron. And, of course, the NBA draft lottery comes up at seven o'clock it started in 1985 the first winner were 
The New York Knicks selecting Georgetown's Patrick Ewing. And since then, how many championships have the New York Knicks won? Zero. There you go. And you, 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 there's a special player that everyone wants to have an opportunity to see be a part of their franchise. Seven foot five. And I know at seven foot five to be able to handle the basketball, to be able to shoot the basketball, it's a it's a freak. And I know you already have the Greek freak, but this is the French phenom. Oh, is that what we're going with now? Y- you got to go with it. Now, Wimbenyama is the player that we're speaking of, seven foot five from France, and. He's going to be pick number one overall. Can he be a franchise difference maker? And the odds of receiving the first pick, that's that's kind of where we are. What franchise is going to have the opportunity to get a Mike? Uh, I think the Hornets are the favorite, if I'm not mistaken, right? The Rockets are right up there. 14% chance. 14% yeah. opportunity there for Wimbayama to be a part. The Pistons have an opportunity for him to to go them to them as well. So uh, seven foot five, you you already know. You might as well go ahead and get his jersey out tonight because there's not going to be any surprises on draft day. Yeah, no. Tonight tonight is essentially the first pick of the NBA draft. Uh, What what do you think of this, Wimbayama? You think you think he's gonna live up to? Let, let me play you a clip. Go ahead. Let me play you a clip. This is this is a clip. You hear what Woj? This this is what Woj Adrian Wojnarowski has to say. But the hype on this Victor Wembanyama is out of control. This is the most highly anticipated player to ever enter the NBA, and this is maybe not only the greatest prospect uh, in the NBA's history, maybe the greatest prospect in the history of team sports. Wow. In the history of team sports, Bronner? What? What? What are we talking about? Well, I guess they're talking about a seven-foot-five phenom that's playing in France right now. The greatest prospect in the history of team sports? (laughs) First of all, like, kid's like 18. Poor, poor, whatever, whatever he is, like, poor poor kid. Poor, poor kid. I, I, I honestly do feel bad for him because if he's not. If he's anything less than this generational superstar, it's gonna be—he's gonna be considered a failure. For that reason, I, I'm out on the guy being this like. So I, I just think the expectations are too great. The only one to ever live up to expectations like that is LeBron, which honestly, I, I think gives LeBron even more of a case as one of one of, if not the greatest players of all time. Like he's the guy who lived up to it, like all the billing, like this kid from Akron who is a phenom and is supposed to, oh, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread here. And he really was and has never had any major scandal or anything like that. You know, everything everything you can say positive about LeBron, yada, yada, yada. But Wimbayama being talked about now as the best prospect by Woj, who's like the marquee, he's like the NBA he insider. Bombs. The breaking news comes through Woj. And he's going to say that this guy is the most highly touted prospect in the history of team sports? In like, the oh my God! Sports, I, that's How is that fair to this kid? That—that's a stretch. That's not. That's, that's, that's like I think you're doing the kid a real disservice, honestly. Like I think, 
You're setting them up for failure. In, in the NBA, maybe. But but the thing about LeBron, he lived up to every ounce of hype that ever came his direction. And probably exceeded it. And and has superseded it. And to the compare anyone the, to, to LeBron in this situation from a draft standpoint, seven foot five Wimbenyama. The Pistons, 14% chance to get them. The Rockets, 14% chance. The Spurs, 14% chance. The Hornets, 12.5%. The Blazers, 10.5%. Oh, it'd be fun to see him play with Lillard. Now, if he goes out to Portland, a lot of West Coast games what? will be definitely had by ESPN and TNT. What chance the Mavericks have? The Mavericks have a 3% chance. Of getting, I mean, out. you know these things are rigged. So, so tonight, I know they used to be rigged. I sure, think they, they still are. Envelopes. You see what happened to the Blackhawks? I, I heard what happened in the NHL draft. Blackhawks got the number one pick, and uh, there's this phenom coming in. I believe his name is like Connor Bedard. I think his name is, and he's like, he's the real deal as well. I don't know if you know who Connor McDavid is. Uh, but he's he's like the best player in the NHL right now. And the Oilers, he was you know that that guy coming out of the draft as well. He he's like that level of hype. You know the consensus like this team wins the little draft lottery, they're getting this guy. And the Blackhawks, you know, after being terrible for a year, obviously they're one of the premier original six like big market franchises. I don't think they had a great chance to win the draft lottery, and you know they kind of just get handed this Bedard guy, and they sold they sold like ten thousand season tickets on on lottery night. Wh These whatever, things are rigged. Whatever franchise he goes to, I don't I don't think the NBA one is rigged. Now when they have I the think envelope, the NBA is more rigged than the NHL. Well, when they have the draft lottery with the envelope, Adam I'm Silver's not above this. I, I just think that there's too many security precautions in order. Adam Silver is the security. I, if the Pistons come, don't come away with this overall pick, again, the Pistons 17 and 65. I, and there's a huge picture behind you of Rasheed Wallace, a Detroit Piston. That's the last time the Pistons probably were any good. I'm, so. I don't know if he goes to the Spurs. That'd be cool. Whether that makes a difference, but I know what the double the team. Have? The double team's coming here tomorrow. Stephen uh. Root's going to be in the studio. Nick Wiggins is going to be here. Five thirty. WNSP now will be taking over for the final drive, and I guarantee Nick Wiggins and Stephen Root have a, a, a rooting interest in where. A lot of these future pros could go because Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, Scoot Henderson coming out of the G League Ignite was one of the best point guards and one of the best playmakers before Wimbayama takes over. Seven foot five though. That's that's freakish. Yeah, I mean he's they, he's 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 a freak. You have you have some NBA players, LeBron James calls him an alien. Plays like an alien, just just not from this planet. His ability to handle. Now he is skinny, and can he take the beating and the grind of the NBA season? And he's been playing overseas with grown men. But Popovich, if he goes to the Spurs, we know the success that Popovich has had on the backside of his career, having an opportunity, having coached David Robinson and Tim Duncan, 
going to the Spurs would be a difference. And the, the Rockets, they already have a fire roster as it is in regards to, to growing. Look at Jabari Smith on that roster. You, he yeah. looks like Jabari Smith on steroids. I want to see Jabari Smith and Brandon Miller have to play together. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That, that could happen as well. A Houston, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like wing combo like that. But That'd again, be cool. you would love Jabari's the Alabama-Auburn connection. There. Yeah. So whoever gets the second pick is the, possibly going to go with Scoot Henderson. Yeah, I think it'll be Scoot, who, by and, the way, was supposed to go to Auburn if he didn't go to, G, to the G League. Kind of shaking things the up there. The third pick, I think, is just as critical. But can Michael Jordan find a way, being the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, to, to squeeze in there? Because that's something that a lot of people have talked about. I'm Does he go there for his career to die before it even starts in Charlotte? <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a prediction that uh, the Mavericks get the number one pick tonight. The, le- the league wants Wembenyama and Luka to play together. 3% chance yeah, yeah, is I'm, what they I'm, have. I'm predicting it. And you feel that somehow or another Ma- Mark Cuban's magic is going to rub off. I'll tell you. No, no. I, it's not Mark Cuban magic. It's just the league wants it to go that way, so it's going to go that way. All right, Michael if Bonner I, says If I'm right tomorrow, rigged, if I'm right tomorrow about this, you got to get on board with the, the league is rigged. L- listen, if you're right about this, if, if Dallas has the number one overall pick, man, lunch is on me for an entire mm. week. Mm. Lunch is on me for a week, brother, if you're right about that. 3% chance of lunch for a week and Luka and Wimbamyama, and all that has to happen is Adam Silver has to rub his hands together and commit a conspiracy? That sounds... I like my chances. Well, I tell you what, on the other side of this break, I like your chances of talking about our cornhole victory for sure and wrapping up everything that went down on the final drive. Alabama made some noise in regards to apparel today. We'll talk about that. They're scheduled playing Texas, 6 o'clock p.m. Bronner will give us that recap on the other side of the final drive here on WNSP Jimmy Riffle from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. All right, wrapping up a Tuesday final drive. Got about four minutes or so left. I won't talk about cornhole the whole time. I'm sure you'll get to hear Mark and Nick break down exactly what went wrong, what went right, which was some. You know, we, they played a little bit better than than I thought they would, than they thought they would. Again, Corey and I went over 21, to- 21 three different times, so really probably scored closer to 40 points. But such is the nature of the game. It's a game of strategy, not just a game of skill. So, you know, you got to be savvy with when you put the beanbag in the hole. But they went over 21 once, and... You know, it was enough to for us to get it done. I, I look forward to to hearing Nick and Mark's 
breakdown of how things went, but pickleball next week in the final vote for the Nappies. 1-1 at the moment in these two challenges. It wasn't quite as beat as much of a beatdown as the basketball, but you know, a win's a win in my book, and we're just going to call it that. But we did talk a lot today about Alabama and Texas. Announced today as a primetime 6 p.m. under the lights in Bryant-Denny Stadium, which is how it should be. I made the point earlier. And the worst thing college football television has ever done is big noon kickoff. You want to take a big game and give it a small game feel. Uh, well, put it at 11 a.m. Central Time or noon Eastern Time. And Alabama fell victim to that in Austin. Not to mention the game was literally like 120 degrees on the field. I think both it probably affected both teams a little bit. But it should be really one of the marquee games of the season. It should be at night. So I'm glad it's at night because it really should be one of the marquee games of the season. I Let's face reality from an Alabama perspective. Alabama loses the game last season in Austin. Pro if, if not for a few factors. One, if Quinn Ewers isn't knocked out of the game. Hudson Card got hurt too and really played admirably in the matchup and made some throws and he was limping around. But if Ewers is healthy, I, I have to think that Texas probably finds a way to win that game. I remember Alabama won 20-19 and Bryce Young had to pull a rabbit out of his hat for Alabama to win. I mean, he had to duck out of a sack. Texas pass rush showed up a lot more than a lot of people thought it would, a lot more than I thought it would and affected Alabama's offensive line, affected Bryce Young. Alabama really couldn't get anything going on offense. It was really the story of the whole season. You know, Jace McClellan had that long rushing touchdown, which really ended up being the difference in the game, and then Bryce Young's able to make one big drive at the end of the game, and Alabama's finding, finding a way to win. But, you know, coming Bryant-Denny Stadium under the lights at 6 p.m. on September 9th, I believe it is, you don't have Bryce Young to bail you out this time around, Nick Saban. So... Whether it's Jalen Milrow, whether it's Tyler Buckner, whether it's Ty Simpson, whether it's Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan. It's not going to be Eli Holstein or Dylan Lonergan, but we'll we'll keep an eye on that. No matter who it is, the point being, no matter who it is, a quarterback, it's not going to be Bryce Young. And so, you know, you're going to have to find another way to win the game. You can't let you can't let Quinn Ewers come in and put it put up 45 points on you. You just can't. You'll lose. You'll lose the game. Uh, you, you will. And, you know, limiting that offense is, is going to be difficult. Like, yeah, they lose Bijan Robinson, but they're bringing back really what is one of the best receiver trios in the nation. Xavier Worthy, Donnie Mitchell. Alabama fans are familiar with Donnie Mitchell, former Georgia receiver, caught the long touchdown from Stetson Bennett in the national championship game in 2021, and Jordan Whittington as well on the outside. I mean, Texas, it, we, say, we say this so often, like, Texas is back. Like, I don't know if Texas is back. I'll believe it when I see it fully, but at a minimum, they should be very competitive this year. Not only for Big 12. I mean, I'd be shocked if they don't win the Big 12. I'll say that. I'd be surprised if they're not at least in the college football playoff discussion. Now, if they come to Bryant-Denny week two and get bludgeoned, like I hope happens, it might be a different conversation, but I give them a great chance to win the game. So... I think it's hard to – I mean, if Texas comes into Bryant-Denny week two and wins that game, not only is uh, Texas going to be squarely in the college football playoff conversation for mo much of the season, barring a collapse, but Quinn Ewers is going to be squarely in that Heisman conversation for a lot of the season. Get your Heisman futures in on Quinn Ewers now while you can because, you know, if, if he comes in September 9th and wins, I, I would say that pretty much makes him the favorite. I mean, that's ultimately won the Heisman for Joe Burrow along with the great season, so – 
We'll see what happens there. But always thank you to our guests. You had a great show today. Keith Smith on at 3.30. Talked a little NBA. Chris Gordy. Always love talking to Chris Gordy. On at 4 o'clock. Locked on SEC. Talking a little SEC. Jim Dunaway. Next round live. Talking some Alabama. It was great to have him on. We've never had him on before. Been looking forward to that one for a long time. Tobias Wilborn. Talking a little Auburn. Tomorrow's going to be a big one. Josh Pate. Pate State. Next Late kick, Josh. I must said next round live again. One of the best, one of the best college football radio video guys. I love Josh Pate. Really looking forward to talking to him. But Ryan Ballinger gonna preview the PGA Championship. Jason Swain gonna talk a little Tennessee Spring. Nick Wiggins, Stephen Root gonna take over at 5:30 for a little WNSP now live. But that's it for us today. Tune in for the opening kickoff tomorrow. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP.